I uh, had the privilege this week of going to a children's pastors conference in Orlando, Florida. Uh, it was not warm in Orlando, Florida, but it was warmer than here. And if you know me, you know I love children, and it's a it's a passion of my heart. And I I have told you for years and years and years that if I knew coming out of Bible college way back in the day that I could make a a living being a children's pastor. I, you would have never seen me up here. I would have been perfectly content being down there with the children or in hot spot with the children. Because I believe with all of my heart we are called to make disciples. And I don't think you could be any more effective in any ministry than when you are parenting or when you are discipling the children. And so this morning we want to just take time and we just kind of want to unpack some random stuff that is just, that God has just laid on my heart. So would you bow your heads and let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I ask that you speak to us today. It is a wonderful place to be. But today may we hear your challenge. May we hear your truth. May you speak to us from your most holy word. Father, I pray that we don't blow this message off as something that's for somebody else. But Lord, that we look at it and we say, okay, Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Here I am. So use me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Creating Spaces logo is just going to be up there all Service, and I'm going to get to it at the end. Charles Swindoll, who happens to be one of the pastors I like to listen to, says, Fortunately, God made all varieties of people with a wide variety of interests and ability. He has called people of every race and color who have been hurt by life in every imaginable way. Even the scars of past abuse and injury can be a means of bringing healing to another. What a wonderful opportunity! To make disciples. Everything in the gospel is either preparation for discipleship, presentation of discipleship, or participation in discipleship. I am simply trying to tell you that the gospel message is about discipleship. And the point is, is to be a Christian means that you must, is that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Far too many of us are content to being believers in Jesus Christ. That there was this moment in time I heard the gospel, a preacher preach the gospel. Preacher preach a Bible message or a Sunday school or a church camp counselor tell me about Jesus. I felt this stirring in my heart. I knew I was a sinner and I was on my way to hell. And I didn't want to go to hell and I wanted to go to heaven. So to go to heaven I needed Jesus in my heart. And I believe that Jesus is real. So I asked Jesus in my heart and what a deal. He forgave you my sins and gave me a home in heaven. I am a believer. And for most people, their faith stops right there. God sent his son not to call any of us to be believers. But he calls us to be disciples. Believing has kind of an ending point. You know, it was an event in the past. I expressed belief. Boop, I'm good. I'm covered. No hell. Heaven's my home. All is right with the world. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
To be a disciple means I am a lifelong learner so that what I was before Christ, I will no longer be in Christ. And so that the longer I am in Christ, I will be more like Christ. That is an ever-growing, ever-learning proposition. So a true disciple does two things. A true disciple are those who are being discipled and those who disciple others. A true disciple of Jesus Christ, those who've expressed saving faith and confidence in him and have that new birth and that new relationship and have experienced atonement and conversion and, and regeneration, whatever theological word you want to insert there. It doesn't stop there. Then you are being discipled, and then you are discipling others. And if you're not doing those two things, then you have not totally understood your identity in Christ from the gospel message. Let me give you three points that are a little random. A true disciple of Jesus Christ disciples others. A true disciple of Jesus Christ disciples others. Jesus left great examples, whether it was Peter, James, and John... He discipled them, they discipled others. Whether it was Mary, Lazarus, and Martha, he discipled them, they discipled others. Or even when it was little children, Jesus was a disciple maker. The disciples in training in Mark chapter 9 and verse 36, it's a familiar passage, so just, just listen to it. Before, they're fussing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who's going to sit at the right hand of the Father because, because in, in the king's room the throne room was the throne was the main deal and then the chair immediately to the right was where the most honored guest the best person in the house sat and so they were all kind of arguing about who was and there were other people obviously following the crowd moms and dads and and children were playing and and evidently a mother was holding the little infant because the bible says that he took a child and, and held him in his arms. And the English language does not do that phrase justice. The word child is really diminutive, which means an infant, very, very early in life. And the word held is a tender caress. It's a warm embrace. It is, it is an embrace of affection. When my son Benjamin was born and I took him to church that very first Sunday he was born on Monday Sunday we were in church with the boy and and back in that day and I know this is going to make me sound like the world's awful parent but back in the day they were not all of these bulletproof car seats and everything else like we got today the, the kids had bunting you remember what bunting is basically you wrapped a kid up in a papoose type formation to where if he wanted to bend he couldn't bend and it was in January, so we had like 30 minutes of clothes and diapers and stuff to get through. And so, it, I mean, it, if he wanted to bend, he couldn't bend. So I thought it would be cool if I just walked in because it was like football time. If I walked in with him just like a football under my arm. The women in the church went on a warpath. And to this day. They will not let me forget that that is not the type of holding that Jesus did. It was a term of warm embrace. It was, it was a term of affection. It, it's like you grandparents do when you make those funny faces and those weird noises and do that goochie 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 goo thing. 
it, 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 maybe he sang a, a, a Jewish song that all the Jewish children, my dad, anytime he had a child, and my dad would always go around the church and, and, and give attention to the children. And he would do patty cake, patty cake, baker's band, roll them up dough, throw them in a the pan, wee, and he'd always get them to laugh. So when I got grandkids, you know what I do? I go patty cake, patty cake, baker's band, roll them up dough, wee. It was that type of affection. It wasn't that the child was an interruption. Child now became the object of attention. So what happened was, Jesus said, unless you become like one of these, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. He, he was trying to help the disciples to understand that the chief goal in life was not to sit at the right hand of the Father, but in the kingdom of God, the ultimate purpose is to be discipled and to disciple others. This past week, I told you, I went to a children's pastor's conference. I sat in several breakout sessions for infant and toddler children. For infant and toddler children. This was an amazing experience to me because in, in several of the sessions, there were like 35 and 40 women and one man. And the presenter would make this announcement. This is for early childhood development. If this is not where you belong, you might want to leave. And... All the 30 women looked right at me. But I'm telling you, it was one of the most incredible things Don Rudman taught us. And she was, she was just tremendous. And so one of the first things I heard was that these babies are so important that church after church after church after church said, you know, you know, they were talking about how they get volunteers, and it was just this recurring theme. They said, well, we take volunteers for ushers and greeters and da-da-da, and we take volunteers for this. But they, they would come back and say, we do not take volunteers for any part of our children or teen ministries. And I went, whoa, these women don't take volunteers? And they said... And I'm listening and, you, you know, kind of, men, you know how women will kind of get there eventually. Well, they got there eventually. And here was their point. Our children are too important to leave it to volunteers. We don't want to take volunteers. We want to recruit disciples who will be disciple makers. All of a sudden. I grabbed my pen. I thought, dude, I wrote down more stuff in Don Rudman's uh, breakout session and she has a PhD in developmental psychology with extensive research in infant brain development this is absolutely incredible I love babies you guys know I love babies I scoop your babies out of the car seat you know it's a feat of technology of, of engineering to get them out I let you guys put them back in but did you know that babies are born with one billion neurons in their brain that's two times as big as your brain by the way if a child looks at you and say are you losing your mind the answer is yes because their brain is half the size of us, but they have 100 billion neurons. A neuron, if you do not know, is an electrically excitable cell that receives processes and transmits information through electronic and chemical signals. These signals between neurons and core 
occur via specialized connections called synapses, kind of like your nerves firing into each other. And each neuron forms small bunches of dendrites. Now, I not, did not know what a dendrite was. Picture an upside-down tree. The, the synapses would be what the information along the nerve travels, and then figure a tree that has all of these different branches. And then what that does is it communicates with all the other little different nerves and nerves synapses out there and other dendrites. About 80% of all dendrites are formed after birth and the large percentage of them are formed during the first three years of birth. What does this mean about baby's brain development? During the first three years of life, your baby's brain is going into overdrive forming these dendrites. These pathways where they take outside stimuli and environment and, and what level they can process information. And they kind of put it together with other associated, you know, emotions or in stimuli. So that's why when you smile at your baby and you do that little googie, 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 thing, thing, I can pretty much make your baby smile too because I can do that googie, googie, googie kind of thing too. And it's not that they know me. It's just they're familiar with the way you stimulate them. And so they see the way I'm kind of doing it. And somehow in that dendrite area, the synapses, the neuron flows down the synapse into the dendrite. And all of a sudden, hey, my papa, he's okay. And I don't know who this guy is, but he must be okay too. <laughs> and they laugh. This is absolutely incredible. By the time they are three years old, your baby will form over 15 trillion different connections through dendrites and synapses and neurons. It's absolutely incredible. Babies are learning machines. The responsibility of parenting is not childcare. Listen to me. If you are pregnant, if you, are, if, if you have a newborn child, if you got a, a young child, the responsibility of parenting is not child care. The responsibility of parenting is discipleship. And what an awesome privilege it is to come alongside and help these Outside stimuli and, and songs. Did Jesus sing a little Jewish song? The Bible doesn't say, so I can't say emphatically he does. I can't imagine him not. Did, did Jesus, you know, try to do a little Gucci Gucci thing, however you do that in Hebrew and, or Aramaic, and try to make the little baby laugh? I can't imagine him not. Because the goal is not child care. The goal is discipleship. I'm amazed at how many parents will look at me and I say, okay, now you need to start having, you know, when, and as soon as they tell me they're pregnant, I say, start having devotions with your baby. And I go, well, you know, we kind of thought that we'd wait till they understand what we say. They have already formed trillions of dendrites, making trillions of connections and, 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 and opinions, if I can use that word. We got to disciple them now. That's why I think tot spot ministry is so important. It is not child care. I learned through, mo well, we all know, through motion and song and, and, and movement and, and role play and learning and Bible stories that they make these connections that, hey, this is a safe place. 
Church is a safe place. This is a good place. And God is a good, good God. Who would not want to be a part of a ministry like that? We're in the beginning weeks of an I serve kind of search movement. And you see, already you see stuff when you come in and it says I serve. Today the children's ministries are wearing their orange shirts. And anybody who serves in our children's ministry today wearing their, their orange shirt. I was going to throw mine on, ran out of time, but you got the idea, all right? And, and we're looking for, and we're going to intentionally recruit people, not volunteers, but in children's ministry, we want, we want to recruit disciple makers. We want you to see whether it's that infant that you're holding, whether it's the toddler that, that, that you're singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Whether it's the, the children's church, first and second graders that you're acting out, David killing Goliath, you know, and you got to be careful with that one, but you got the idea. It is not about filling in time so adults can have an undisturbed service in the big house. It is about discipling the next generation to be more like Christ than us, the previous generation. So over the next four to six weeks, man, there are people who are assigned that will just walk up to you and say, you know, I noticed that you are good with children. Would you consider allowing us to talk to you about serving, about being a disciple in our hotspot ministry, in our, our children's ministry. You say, well, listen, that's not my calling. Did you hear Josh say that? And, that, and I think, you know, children's church isn't my calling. Listen, sometimes we make the gospel fit us instead of the words of the New Testament, instead of us fitting the words of the New Testament. All right? God is more interested in your purpose than your calling. Your purpose is to make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, 18, 19, and 20. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Luke chapter 20 and, and verse 46, 24, 46 through 48. John 20, 21. Acts 1, 8. Colossians 1, 6 through 8. I mean, I could just go on in the book of Acts. The idea is that you and I, who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to make disciples, not just simply believe. Go into all the world. Make disciples. How? By teaching them. By baptizing them. That's the experiential part of it. And then by going and serving to the uttermost ends of the earth. So you're going to hear a lot of talk about that. Chris Hodges said this, fastest, one of the fastest growing churches in America. He said, discipleship is not about learning more. It is about discovering and developing the reason why you were created. God designed the process to involve other people. That's why discipleship is ultimately about connecting with someone who will help you connect with God for the purpose of fulfilling your God-given destiny, your purpose. Your destiny, your purpose is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ who is be, and to be discipled by someone else so that you are discipling someone else. Listen, you are not called to a ministry. You are called to a purpose. 
The, per- the ministry is more narrow, the purpose is more broad, and the purpose is discipleship. Got it? The second thing I want you to understand is that disciples practice spiritual discipline. Now, a disciple is somebody who is being discipled and is discipling others, has this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and on the basis of that is being poured into and then is pouring into others, all right? And so, spiritual disciplines are practices found in the scriptures that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have had this question a lot over the last, oh, I don't know, several months now. And it really kind of started that the Sunday before Thanksgiving where I said, I'm thankful, but I'm not feeling thankful. I am thankful, I just don't feel it. I truly am thankful, but in this moment, at this time, with what was going on in my world, I don't feel it. I feel it today. I am so thankful, man. I am just like, but back then, I didn't, I didn't feel it. So I got a lot of people saying, you know, I don't feel it either. I don't feel it either. So I just kind of got quiet on the subject of feeling it until I could explain it, and, and, and maybe this will help you not get the feeling back, but create space in your life. In the month of February, we are going to have a great point of emphasis on the theme, creating spaces, making room for God in your cluttered world. Creating spaces, making space. Finding space for God in a cluttered world. The premise is basically this. My responsibility is to make space. God's responsibility is to fill that space. But most of us don't have space. If you to see the way I take notes, I go from one, I, I, I go from one very end of the page to the other very end of the page. The lines mean nothing to me. Margins don't mean a thing. I go from end to end. I go from sun up to sun. I mean, I, I mean that, that's kind of like how I do. And there's a lot of us, man, we have no margin. We have no, we have no boundaries. We have no, we have no space. So whether it's our schedule, our job, our family, our kids, our agenda, our personal likes, finances, health, parents, children... Extended families, church, responsibilities, being discipled, being a discipler. I mean, we got all of these things just pressing in on us to where we have no space to fill up on God. Would you agree with that? That most of us in this room, we live at such a pace, we live at... at, at, (laughs) That, that you, to get the most out of every day, you've got to fill the moment of every day. And we kind of have bought into that, that cultural norm. And we just got to fill it and fill it and fill it and fill it. So we stack our lives and fill our lives and stack our lives and shove things into our lives. And you can only shove so much into your 168 hours that you have a week. And something's got to go. And so in February, I'm just going to create, I'm just going to invite you to intentionality, with great intentionality, create space for God. And instead of fasting and praying and exercising one of the spiritual disciplines, we're going to exercise eight spiritual disciplines that were common in the New Testament and certainly in the early church age. 
Some are not found quite so much in the New Testament, but the early church certainly practiced them. And so I'm just going to go every, every Sunday, all right? I'm just going to go through the week. Every Sunday is a day of worship and rest. It's a day of worship and rest. And when I say worship, I mean it, it is common. Your responsibility when you come to the Lord's house is to prepare yourself on Sunday morning. Have a little devotion, have some quiet time, just, just create this space and say, okay, God, I am coming because I am needing something that only you can fill. I need a word from heaven that only you can give. I need a song in my heart that only you can truly help me sing. I need something that only you can do for me. There is something that happens individually and corporately when the body of Christ, when we worship together, God, I am coming to church on Sunday, not to see my buddies, not to hang out after church. I am coming to worship you. That's my purpose. I'm going to be discipled through worship. And here's as big as I can make it. Here's the space. Wash over me. Then we want you to rest. For some of you, you're going to have an anxiety attack on Sunday afternoon. Because I'm going to ask you to cancel stuff on your Sunday afternoon. Probably be okay if your kid misses a ball game. Probably be okay if you don't go to the movies. Probably be okay if you don't run to the store and get the groceries. Probably be okay if you just stayed home and took a nap. What a concept to rest. But rest also has this idea of re-engaging. So after you've had a time of engaging with God and your body kind of renewing, why not reconnect with family? Gentlemen, how about reconnect with your wife and have a spiritual conversation over just a simple little snacky Sunday evening meal of maybe, I don't know, popcorn and chocolate milk. I mean, just make it fun. And why don't you just start the conversation say, so what stood out the most to you in the message in the service this morning? You say, well, I can't do that. You know why you can't do that is because for the 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years you've been married, you've never done that. And so why continue to do it wrong? Why not say, okay, you know what? It might be a little awkward, but I'm going to bring it up. And if you totally blank out, then hug each other on the couch and take another nap. So Sunday's rest and worship. Monday and Tuesday's fast and pray days. Now, we're changing this up just a little bit because too many of you are getting so bogged down in the Daniel fast and the food preparation and what are we going to do and what are they going to like so it's not a week long it's just two days Monday and Tuesday and whether you do the Daniel fast or a Hebrew fast from sun up to sundown get up early in the morning before the sun comes up eat a huge breakfast don't eat anything you know you can drink juices or water through the day and then at night after the sun goes down have a big meal just a, a day but it's to create space so that you can spend time praying for God 
praying to God for yourself on behalf of others, that you're praying that God would do a work in your life and a work in your heart, that he would just kind of recenter your life on those eternal values that maybe you have often neglected. And so it's just this time of prayer. We'll send things out in the morning, things out in the afternoon, things in the evening just to kind of help your prayer time. And then at dinner when you're eating that night, then talk about it. If your children need fuel, don't do the Jewish fast thing. Fix them a little Daniel fast or something a little different that will help remind them that, hey, these two days are special days and we want to create space to pray. And so it may mean you walk around the school, you walk around the job, you walk, go to the car and, and just have that quiet time, but that's fast and pray. Wednesday is going to be study and reflection. In February, we're going to start a, uh, our Wednesday night Bible study again, and we're going to be talking about life's uh, God's great answers to life's most difficult questions is basically going to be theology 101. We're just going to kind of help you <laughs> and your dendrites and your neurons just kind of make the right connections so that you have the right New Testament concepts of what biblical theology and biblical doctrine is all about. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of interaction. We'll bring back soup groups just for the month of December, and it's going to be great. Thursday is going to be the toughest day of your week. I promise it's going to be the toughest day of your week. It's the quiet and still day. No media. Unless it's pertained to work. Now, by the way, most of us think our work is really that important, but it's really not. Have a basket on the table when your kids get up, or when your kid, you know, put all the phones, devices, everything in the basket have certain times in the day that's posted there by the basket. Say, I'm just making stuff up. Say from 8 to 8.20. Feel free to be on your devices at 8.20. You know, the, the horn will go off and, you know, put everything back in the... And then later that evening, whatever time, 6 to 6.20, you know, you go... And that's it. In this CPC that I was at, Children's Pastors Conference, for the first time I heard it phrased this way, that our children, children, the children that are now in children's church don't know it, but they have addictions to devices. They've always got to have something in their hand, looking at something, doing something. So this is a day to step back. Now, some kids are going to need it for school, blah, 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 blah. We'll tell you more about that, but I think that's going to be the toughest day. Friday's community night. We want you and three other families to get together and have a ball. A couple hours. We want you to live life together. And so there's four Friday nights and everybody will take one turn hosting it and whether it's in your home, but we want you to live life together. So let's just say that my son has a basketball game on Friday night and I don't want to miss that basketball game. So we're all going to live life together. So we're all going to go to the basketball game and then maybe we go out and get dessert or we go back to our house for games and, and refreshments. And whoever the host is, they call the shot on what it's going to do. Laura McClellan is going to help organize that and set that up really pumped about that Saturday is serving day. We want you to take about 20 to 45 minutes with your children and do something that serves. Whether you make your children's church uh, teacher uh, a thank you card, whether you go to a nursing home and just go into two or three rooms and just sing some songs and, and just pray for them, whether you make chocolate chip cookies and bring them to shut-ins and Pastor Mike, whatever you decide to do. It's just something simple 
that gets your children focused outside of themselves, outside of their box, outside of their home and saying, oh yeah, we can do this. And you take a neuron and you allow it to travel that axis and it dumps into the dentrites and all of a sudden something that looks, I don't want to do, is now a pod becomes a positive experience because you're doing it together. Very simple. We'll throw ideas out. And then Sunday again we start with worship and rest. See, here's what I know. If you truly want to feel Christ in your life, you have got to create space for him. Jesus Christ does not rip through the crowd of your business, of your finances, of your this, of your that, of this and that. But anytime you open your heart, when you make space for him. Remember when the children of Israel, and this will be next week's message, but remember the children of Israel, and they went, Moses went up onto Mount Sinai, and he got the Ten Commandments. And shortly thereafter, I mean just a couple of chapters later, what did God tell Moses to do? God said, Moses, you build me a space called a tabernacle. You build me a space, the tabernacle. Then in that space, I will fill it. I will come. I will meet with you and the people from that place. You create a space for me, I'll fill it. And that has always been true in Scripture. Let me give you one final thought. Is that disciples consistently surrender and renew their heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27 has much to say about wisdom, but here's three, three things. And by the way, I hope you write the passage down for the sake of time. I'm just going to give you the three points. First of all, you've got to guard your heart. If you're going to create this space, I guarantee you other things will fight to fill it. And so in creating space, you've got to guard your heart. If this is where God truly lives and communicates with us, and I believe that it is, then we've got to guard our heart from jealousy and competition, envy and sin. We've got to make space for God, but here's the problem. We so often give our heart to the very things we are to protect our hearts from. Proverbs 4 says not only are you to guard your heart, but you give your heart. That means you're to fix your heart. Fix your heart on Jesus. And then you're to share your heart. It says, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left. We drift. When I was a kid, I was in second grade, and I had this great idea that I would go to the top end of Ringwalt Drive, this road we lived on, and, and I, I would just hold my, I would pedal my bike because I wanted to see what it would be like to be blind. I don't know why I got this in my mind, but I wanted to see what it would be. And so I thought, I'll, I'll drive and I'll just hold my foot. I'll just hold my foot on the gutter and I'll fill the gutter all the way down the street. As long as I'm close to the gutter because the cars park on the other side and, and no cars on this side, I will be just fine. And I had my brother go with me. Now, there are so many things wrong on so many levels of this story that I don't even have time to tell you about. But I started to drift. And what was so, I never opened my eyes. I just, kept, I just kept thinking I was right there. I just thought it was just out of my reach. And so I got a little farther away from the curb, but I, I just knew I was like that far away. And so I just, I never opened my eyes. I just kept going. And I, I just kept, and so I just, and I, I just knew I was that far away, but I just kept drifting. And all the time, my brother is watching me 
drift across the road right into Clyde and Millie Brewer's car and I just took their side view mirror off. I opened my eyes then to see my dad coming out of the house, to see my brother laughing at me and to see my mom, you know, going back into the house to call Millie to say, yeah, that was my foolish son. See, left to ourselves, we're going to drift. You cannot live in isolation as Christians. That's why Friday night is so important. When, when we get together with three other families and make four, and, and as families, kids and all, man, we just live life together. Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfortable. Not health, not wealth, not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all of these things, but in the end, it finds such things as its reward in Christ, and Christ is more than enough for us. So I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to close your eyes for just a moment.